Salutations, donks. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the inaugural episode of Just Bleed Radio, a roundtable podcast brought to you by the official Morning Combat Discord. My name is Lazy and joining me today are two of my intrepid co-hosts. First, he is the pride of England, our very own Count of Casuals, bringing a bit of English sensibility to an otherwise crass endeavor. I give you Danger Mouse. Hey, up, folks. Greetings from Yorkshire. Next, we have the Midwestern Mauler. Holding it down from Illinois to Colorado, he brings the bot because Chatri bless. It's Super Dave Fairtex. Hey, hey, hey. Unfortunately, we're short a man today as one of our regular co-hosts, No Special, could not be with us. Nevertheless, we march forward. On today's show, we'll be discussing UFC Fight Night, Gone vs. Spivak, as well as a wide variety of other ramblings and musings. We appreciate every one of you for tuning in, sparing your time, and we gladly welcome all participation and feedback. Now, to that end. All right, folks, here we go. Uh, Danger Mouse, how you doing, bud? I'm as well as can be expected. My usual cheery English disposition. <laughs> typical mouse, typical mouse. <laughs> Dave, how about yourself? I'm never better, actually. It's a sunny day. It's the... Uh... End of the summer, but we still got nice warm temps. It's uh, kind of smooth sailing. Agreed. It's pretty fucking hot. How are here. you doing? That's what I, want. I want to know how are you doing? Actually, <laughs> I'm, how are I'm, you? I'm roasting over here, bro. It's like 90 degrees in Ohio today. Has been for the last few days, and uh, it's getting to me. It's getting to me. I'm ready for fall. Topic one. With the U.S venture into old Perry now in the rear view. Did you see enough from Cyril Gon to say he's still a UFC heavyweight title contender? First uh, on this one, I think we'll go to Dave. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, did you see enough from Cyril Gon on uh, Saturday night to say he's still a UFC heavyweight title contender? Yes, he was still a UFC level uh, heavyweight title contender before the last fight. The division is um, mostly garbage, and even after the John Jones loss, I I had him in the top five, and uh, Jones was probably the only real problem for him. And uh, to be a contender, you don't have to beat Jones; you just have to contend to him. So he's absolutely like right there, cream of the crop. Yeah, he would be a uh, tier one. Like, he's one of the very few Tier 1 fighters in that division. Like, we'll say S-Tier is John Jones. And then we got a Tier 1. Would be, like, gone. And maybe, like, overall, like, I don't know if we're ready to put Aspinall in there yet. But, or actually, they might even be Tier 2. That's how shit the division is. They're, like, Tier 2. And then, like, the rest of the division is Tier 4. So, yeah, he's still a contender. Or, yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And you think that he, uh still has the ability to vie for a title even with John Jones as champion? Well, to compete for a title, not to win a title. Um, if John Jones reti- retires, uh, it's going to be either him or uh, that Frank Mir dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and Danger, how about yourself? Do you think that... Uh, after last Saturday's showing in Paris, that Gon still has what it takes to fight for that UFC heavyweight gold. I don't think I've learned a great deal more than I already knew. 
Uh, I know, I know, he defended one or two attempts, you know, takedown attempts from Spivak, but Spivak didn't look exactly great. So I don't think he really pushed him. Uh, Ganluk, Ganluk, you know, he's obviously he's a very big guy. He moves very well. Um, I have jokingly uh, the last couple of days compared him to the, you know, said he's the uh, Nick Diaz of heavyweight. Uh, <laughs> MMA because he, he does that same thing. He piles pressure on and, and just hits a lot. You know, I don't think he's has that single punch KO power generally, but he will just wear you down uh, with a few shots here and there. And then then obviously when the opportunity arises, um, he'll stick something heavy in and hopefully try and finish you off. Um, we need to see more of his grappling uh, against someone who's really going to test it. Uh, against the current crop, uh, I, I, I doubt very much he'd beat Jones still, uh, but I don't think we have to worry about that because I think John will retire after the, his next fight, unless maybe he loses, I guess. But I think he'll. Be, I think we can see a double retirement with him and Stipe, and that leaves Pavlovich and Aspinall, who are kind of the other top runners in the in the division, um, and I think probably both of them beat him. I don't. I don't think he. I think Aspinall. Obviously, I'm biased because Aspinall's uh, English. Um, I think Aspinall's got the wrestling. He's got the BJJ. He's got the striking. He's got to lower his chin because he doesn't stick that up in the air. But I, th- I think. I think he has a very, very good chance of beating Gan. And Pavlovich has got that touch of death. He can beat anyone in heavyweight. He's only no. going to land one punch, and you're going to sleep. I don't care. No. That guy. No. Absolutely. No, I mean, I, I I agree with the time Aspen I'll take, but I mean, Sergey ain't that guy. He's been beating up like scrubs. Like he doesn't hit harder than Francis, and Francis couldn't KO uh, Gon, and Gon nearly won that fight. Like, yeah, but Francis. I, I like your Aspen take, uh, Pavlovich. I don't think he's got anything for him. Like I think Gon just fucking styles on him point fights. Don't don't forget that uh, Francis had a, a a knackered up leg when he fought Gan. Uh, that's why he wasn't moving around. So we don't really know how Gan would have done against a fully fit Francis, and he lost to a I, not fit Francis as well. So uh, I've seen the firing sessions. Gan is the better striker. Like I don't know if that fight goes much different, except for maybe Francis gets to take down easier. Yeah, I would agree that Gan is probably the technically better striker. I mean, he did start his career in kickboxing or Mai Tai. I forget which one. Yeah, I think it was kickboxing he officially started as. Um, so a technical striker, I'm sure he's better than Pavlovich. But he does, like I said, he doesn't have that power, and it only takes one mistake against somebody who hits that hard. I, I, guess, he made any mistake. I guess he maybe made some mistakes in the uh, Tuvasa fight, but... Normally, he doesn't really get clean, hit clean and that hard. Like, I think his striking level is above Pavlovich's. And... Yeah. I, I think guess. that I think that uh, during that Tui Vasa side, we got to see a, a side of Gone that we've yet to see much of. You know, he kind of he got lured into that firefight a little bit, and that's sort of where he ate the most shots. Yeah, kind of cautioned the win too a little bit, which is great. Yeah. In a, in, a, in a sense, I liked seeing it, though, because it showed that he does have that killer instinct that it sometimes seems like he lacks. It's, here's my thing. Like, 
Pavlovich is good, but I don't give like two fucks about the guy. Like, do any of you guys really care about him? I, I very rarely care about very many fighters, to be fair. I, I, you know, they are fighters. I want but to you, see them fight. I'm not going to get emotionally attached to very many, many fighters. Uh, what? Like, if Sergey wins a title, who gives a fight? It's like, okay, we got this guy that's a champion. He doesn't really do anything. He just, uh, he's a champion. I guess he'll be big in Russia, but yeah. I, I would love to see. I would love to see the the damage that he would wreck, you know, wreak on the division, though, because it, as Danger said, that guy's got dynamite in his hands, and it doesn't take much. I mean, I can only imagine with him at the top, there would be some exciting, exciting pay per views in the future. Yeah, for sure. I mean, plus, it's it is heavyweight, you know. It, they're always kind of coin flip uh, fights in certain respects when you get the two, you know, two big guys in the cage. They can yeah. generally put each other to sleep with a single well-landed punch. So, uh, but I just, I just don't see that for Gan very much. He, like I said, it's accumulated damage with him. He's, an, he doesn't not seem to have that one-punch KO power. Uh, He's not really throwing for one-punch KO power though. Like, I understand where you're coming from, and I see the analogy. But it's like, I don't think he's really attempted to KO someone in one punch. So, yeah. Yeah. we might not a, know. We, is, a speculation, we might not know. It, is, it does seem to be more of that Diaz death by a thousand cuts approach, but that could just be tactics. You know, it's, it's easy to break your hand in there with those little gloves. Plus, oh, yeah, you tend to sure. overextend if you miss while you're throwing a big shot or you put yourself in ranch. It's easy to just yeah. kind of sit out there and pop, pop, pop. Yeah. You leave yourself out of position at heavyweight and things can end badly quick. Uh, I'd Very say uh, as far as my observations uh, as to whether or not Gone still has title contention possibilities, uh, I, as far as the fight goes, he, he did show that he's still one of, if not, the most feared strikers in the heavyweight division. Uh, he's accurate. He's poised. He's got elite level footwork for a man his size. Uh, he danced around the polar bear like he was doing French ballet. Uh, he, he picked his shots on the way to a nice TKO. Despite his grappling acumen, Spivak's lumbering nature couldn't wrangle Cyril at any point in the fight. Uh, he was unable to get a hold of Bongamine. Uh, Sergey found himself eating pot shots the majority of the bout, uh, and, and he was exposed by this level of competition, I would say. And, but unfortunately, we didn't get to see if Gon has made those necessary improvements in his grappling and submission defense, uh, though it now seems clear that the Jones fight may have been more of a mental defeat than anything. It seemed like he was, he was done by the time he would got in the cage. Yeah, I was, I was asking people that question. Do you think he was scared of uh, Jones? And I think that was the case. The, the, you know, the reputation of Jones got to him and uh, he just froze up when he got into the cage and obviously we saw what happened. Uh, yeah, and then you look at him now and it's like uh, all those thoughts of is he washed, is he done, should he just call it a day? That seems to be a bit of crazy talk. Well, call me crazy, but... I don't think he was that much intimidated. I think he was ill-prepared. I think uh, Fernand Lopez or whatever is not the highest or even a high level MMA coach. And they just kind of, they didn't expect John to like work his way to like back three-quarter mount or whatever and like choke him out and like get behind him. Like 
I think he's just not that most experienced coach. And then when it happened, they're like, all right, we're going to start bringing in these level of fighters and address this issue. So I personally think it was more uh, game plan and uh, overall skill than, uh, you know, being intimidated. I have, I, have questions. I have questions about Gann's desire to be the heavyweight championship, quite frankly. Uh, he seems like he's drifted through his sports career and um, being very, you know, he's obviously six foot four, six foot five, whatever he is, naturally gifted, athletic, all the rest of it strong. Uh, but he doesn't really seem to have applied himself very much. He, he started off doing football and then he kind of drifted away from that. Then he went to basketball and he couldn't afford to, or rather he couldn't, make time to do the training for that so that's how he got into kickboxing and then from kickboxing he got he went to the gym where he's training at the moment and got into the mma style of things so i I just wonder about his motivations if if you're not willing to find a way that you want to train at something you really really want to be good at then you're not a champion level material because a real champion will find a way to to make that time uh, you know, you get professional. You know, the guys who've been in the gym and just go in there and work training students, junior classes. They sleep at the gym uh, just because they want to keep training. And I don't think Gan has that in him. I think he's everything comes a little bit easy to him. He doesn't have to work to it, so he doesn't work that hard. Uh, I might be doing him a, you know, an injustice there, but that's just what, from his interview that he had with the UFC. That was the impression I got of him. Uh, he's very laid back. That seems to sort of be the the common thought around him that you know he's he's so gifted he's been able to to coast and because of that he doesn't really embrace the grind he doesn't he doesn't have that dog in him. Yeah, exactly. You know, I I've, I've never really thought of that take before, but I actually uh, I'm really coming around to it now that you said it. It's like. He's a skipped athlete, and he's always just kind of been like half in on all of his previous ventures. And, uh, you know, his natural ability takes him so far. And then, like, when the going gets tough, he just kind of bails. And so yeah. that's kind of been a trend in his life. And so he hasn't bailed, but I mean, uh, that's a, I think that's actually a really good take. Um, he's just not in it, he doesn't have the drive or the heart or he's never been forced to uh or when he's been forced to actually put a, a bunch of work and actually level up and uh put in 100 percent, he's kind of been like all right i'm gonna go do something else now yeah well i mean when you compared to say francis or oh, obviously not with the usa anymore but you know he came from cameroon he probably got on a boat and made his way across the mediterranean to france uh, he slept on the streets i think to start off with finally got himself into doing some boxing and then into mma and obviously his, his career has gone from strength to strength kind of thing with the surprising real result of getting a Fury fight sorted out, which I think took everyone by surprise. But Francis really, really wanted that. And he obviously has worked really, really hard to get it. And I, like I said, I just don't see the same thing with Gan. I think that's a good place to leave off on that topic right there. Okie dokie. Good way to, to wrap up that segment. All right, let's move on to segment two. And uh, seeing as we wrapped up with uh, Danger Mouse, we will go to Dave again here for the initial reply. Um, for this question, I'm going to ask, after nearly a year and a half away and up a weight class, 
What were your takeaways in regards to how Rose Nama Yunus looked as a 31-year-old flyweight? My takeaways were that she is not a flyweight. She is a strawweight fighting at flyweight. Flyweight. It looked like she didn't cut weight. Uh, she didn't put on much size. And um, I think until she gets her corner figured out and her coasting situation figured out, like she's done, she's not physical enough and strong enough and big enough to hang with these girls like she was at 115 pounds. At 150 pounds, she had a size advantage. And her range really worked well for her. And uh, that's not the case in the division. And she's not getting good corner advice currently. And uh, I don't know. I think that she's still a 115 fighter, just kind of fucking off. So you think that she's basically a uh, puffed up 115er? She's not even puffed up. She's just not cutting weight. Like. <laughs> She's a she probably weighed the same on fight. She probably weighed closer on fight night as she did when she fought at uh, Strawweight. She just uh, didn't cut that much. That's all speculation. I don't know what her actual weigh-ins were, but she didn't really look that bigger. And it, she actually was out-muscled for like one of the first times in her career, pretty handedly. So, well, besides Andrade, but Andrade doesn't count. She's a fucking tank. Yeah. Yeah, I know when they got face-to-face in the cage, the size difference was pretty apparent. When they, t- when they took that face off, man, whew. Yeah, for, that was Fjord a big was a large lady. DM, how do you feel about this? Uh, after her long absence, uh, did Rose not. do anything? Uh, it's very difficult to say. Um, like you said, there was obviously a size difference. I, d- I don't necessarily think 125 is the... Uh, best weight for her, but I guess she can put on some weight and maybe bulk up and get into it. Uh, obviously, we had the huge problem that she mashed her pinky finger up in the first round, so it's very difficult to tell from that. Uh, she could, obviously it was difficult to do a takedown. I would imagine when you're screaming in agony because your fingers being ripped around, and similarly pun- punching someone with a broken finger can't be very much fun either. Uh, yeah. So. I didn't get a lot from it, uh, to be honest. It's very difficult to make a, an assessment of Rose. Uh, Fiero looked pretty good, I guess. Uh, you know, she handled Rose reasonably well. Yeah, all my takeaways from this fight were mostly based around Fiero. Oh, yeah. Like, and she I, looked obviously, with the cornering thing, um, Rose herself has said that the reason she wasn't, wasn't at elevation is because Trevor is moving gym at the moment. Uh, so she didn't want to be involved in that, in, in being caught up in that movement and the hassle of being involved in that. So that's apparently why she moved to camp, at least according to what she said on a video I saw today. Uh, I heard her say something so completely different. When she gets back it? to Trevor, maybe she'll show more. But it's can't, I can't really say much more than that on uh, this fight. What were you saying, Dave? What did you hear? I heard her say something completely different. It's the reason why she, I, I watched a video of her give like a completely different reason of why she wasn't with Trevor. She said the video I saw, she said Trevor was training with Gaethje for the BMF fight and it was a big fight. And so she didn't want to disturb that. And so she kind of did her own thing or whatever. And that sounded like a bunch of uh, nonsense to me because Trevor's worked multiple high, like high level fighters on the same night on the same card. Like, he yeah, can I mean, do he, two he, he, at once. Yeah, I mean, he did Usman, Gaethje, and Rose on the same night. I forget which uh, UFC it was. 
But yeah, sounds like she's got a a laundry list of excuses as to why he wasn't there. Well, here's the thing. Recently, like in their in between rounds, like when uh, Pat Barry and uh, Trevor Roman were there, it'd be like ninety percent Pat talking shit, and then like Whitman only gets a few seconds to say what he wants. And then he's trying to give advice in between rounds, but Pat Barry's like screaming like a wild man, and you can't hear nothing. And he's not a high level coach. And so it's like you have to kind of throw in the towel or like back out sometimes. It's like I'm not even, I'm traveling, I'm sacrificing my time, I'm not even able to get fucking my plan in. You're not listening to me. He's taking up all the yeah. time. He's a fucking idiot. Yeah. Could be something to do with it. I think we've seen it's, the same video, Dave, but I'm sure I'm pretty sure she would mention that Trevor was moving uh, from his current elevation location to a somewhere different. Uh, I, I do remember uh, during the Rose and Carla fight between rounds, it seemed like they were giving conflicting information. Almost, yeah, like, it was uh, mostly Pat Barry. And yeah, yeah, Pat was saying, you know, you're you hear those boos, that means it's working, and Trevor's over there actually trying to give her sound advice. That's got to be tough dealing with your fighter's husband. Yeah, I yeah, and, so. and like after the first round of the fight last weekend, the first thing he said it was after you don't need your left hand. He was like, "You're doing great," or like, "You're doing good." Like this is what our plan was, and it's like you uh, you lost that round on all three judges' scorecards. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Uh... As far as uh, my takeaways here, uh, I say that, you know, despite soldiering through an injured right pinky, Nama Yunus definitely appeared outsized, outmuscled, and possibly even outclassed. Uh, The discrepancy in size and strength seemed evident throughout the fight, with Rose wearing the majority of the damage aside from a violent head clash that, of course, left Fior bloodied. Uh, Manone remained poised after the accidental foul and carried on with the game plan, handedly beating Thug Rose on a fight that I personally had scored 29-28. What the future holds for Rose seems unclear, as usual, but it's safe to say that the Beast has her sights firmly set on a shot at championship gold. Yeah, uh, will she be up against Blanchfield next, or are we looking at someone uh, different? So I guess we have to get a number one contender. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this Valentina and Grosso fight shakes out, what that means for this division. Yeah, yep. yeah that is a good point. If, if Valentina wins, depending on how it plays out, there might be a third fight. And, uh, Brandshield mm-hmm. might have to fight Firo, like, unless they just want to sit out or take other fights against randoms. Yeah, I hadn't really considered the thought of a trilogy. No, neither would I. Another rematch. Is it warranted, though? Oh, well, like, what if uh, Valentina outpoints Grasso and wins a decision? But it was like, uh, yeah. like uh, Machida versus uh, fucking Shogun one decision or some shit like that. Then yeah. you have to. She stopped her the first fight, and it was like a fucked up decision. You kind of have to. Yeah, that's. I think that's valid. Yeah. If if she, if it, you know, go if ahead, Jim. Yeah, if it, if it went 3-2, you know, 3-2 judges' decision, uh, I could see a, an, another rematch uh, there, I guess. Then again, Grasso hasn't had the belt for very long, so does she deserve a, a, another rematch if she that loses? Would, 
that was kind of my thought, but Dave made a good point that if, if Valentino wins a total snoozer and say it is a split decision or something like that, and, and Grosso finished her the way that she did in spectacular fashion, I don't know. Maybe that, maybe that is the money fight. Well, also, we're ending like the end of the Valentina era. Like, she's probably not going to be around that much longer. Grosso is still kind of young, and then we've got all these young and not becoming fighters. I think the UFC machine is going to be more looking into like hyping up what's new rather than what's going out. Because obviously, Valentina is not the same fighter since her head and arm throws don't work that well anymore. <laughs> the standard of women's MMA, yeah. yeah. Head and arm throw. <laughs> All right. We do. We, we do seem to be moving into a slightly new area where we seem to be getting a lot of younger fighters coming through now to challenge for the belts. Uh, yeah, almost know, a, yeah. a new wave. Yeah, the next generation. It seems to happen every ten years or so in MMA. Yeah, Tony. Yeah, like, really makes sense. Valentina's been fighting a long time. Like people thought that she was, you know, either the best or the second best uh, fighter in Bantamweight. It was maybe, what, five years ago now? I'm not sure how long Featherweight's been, or Featherweight's been around, but... Yeah, and I can't imagine how many years total she's been competing with the Muay Thai and the, all the various kickboxing. And... Well, at least since, like, age 10, because I think that's when uh, she first went with uh, Coach Pavlov. Yeah. Uh, Antonina was, like, in her younger teens, so... That's, like, 30 or 20 years of fucking shit. Yeah, her body's got to be beat to fuck. Yeah, I would think so. And also, just the younger fighters now are training more complete MMA. I mean, Valentina's always been a really good complete MMA fighter, but a lot of her fights that she won were against fighters that were, like, okay in one area and, like, suspect in the rest. And now we're starting to get fighters that are, like, okay in most areas and maybe actually pretty good in one. So it's kind of like a whole different level of competitor now with these younger girls coming up. True. And it's a, it's a bit of a touchy subject, but you have to consider also that it's different for, for women's MMA when it comes to whether or not you want to start a family and whether or not you want to have children. It's easy for, for a male MMA fighter to continue his career throughout that process, but if Valentina wants to ever have a family or something along those lines, you know, this is, uh, yeah, they de- definitely have a cut-off point if they want to take that route. Yeah, it's, it's prime time for motherhood right now. Yeah. So I was, I was just going to say the you know, the age thing doesn't matter quite so much to. It doesn't seem to matter quite so much to women. You know, they seem to be able to go up to that thirty-five, thirty-six, maybe even a little longer and carry mm-hmm. on. Whereas the guys, a lot of the time, especially at lighter weights, you know, they're thirty-three, thirty-four. They're starting to get to the end of their careers. I would say, or they're into the twilight of it, if not at the end of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Moving right along, we're going to push this thing in segment number three. And uh, we'll lead off with DM on this one, despite him having just ended. With MMA now legal and flourishing in France, is the French market proving to be a viable or profitable location for UFC to regularly return to? And host major events. I can't speak on how much. I mean, I'm presuming they probably had a record gate at uh, 
in Paris this weekend, or last weekend, should I say. Um, but is it going to be profitable? Yeah, I think so. The French fans absolutely love it. They're, the crowds are off the scale. They were they were brilliant at the last fight. And then, you know, the first time they uh, had a UFC in Paris, they blew the roof off that stadium. Um, the only crowd I can really compare it to was the uh, British crowd when uh, we came out of COVID and we had the first London show after COVID. And that crowd is very loud. And then the, the, even as an Englishman, I must say that the French crowd were louder and more enthusiastic, you know, singing the national anthem while the fighters are fighting and just crazy levels of enthusiasm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there will be a regular, uh, you know, regular show on the USC's roster uh, each year. I can't, I can't see them missing France for, for a year. Uh, it's, it's just too popular at the moment. Yeah, it seems it, to be. Yeah, seems to be it, a hotbed for sure. Yeah, and and it can only grow the game. The more fight, the more more cards they have, the more the more fighters they'll get growing up uh, and getting into the sport. So it'll it should just be self perpetuating almost. You know, more fighters, more shows, more fighters, more shows. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say Paris or France as a general is going to be very successful to the UFC. Yeah. All right, Dave, uh, what do you think? You think France has uh, got a real future as far as it comes to USC events? Do I think France has a real future as it comes to UFC yeah. events? Yeah, you do you think that we're going to see? Do you think? <laughs> Did you watch right, it? I didn't know you were being smart, but go ahead. I've never heard anything like that. They've got a huge market. Maybe not for like, you know, four times a year but they could easily do two times a year and sell the shit out of it like i've never heard an audience like that in mma if i can kill it the question more so is do you think that they'll make this an annual event do you think that they'll return to to paris yearly it'll be it'll be an annual event as long as uh fucking cyril gone and uh maybe like you still got uh Saint-Denis and some other uh, French fighters. Yeah, it'll absolutely be annual. I mean, if I can jump in again, um, you know, for Europe, we, it's essentially is uh, the UK, and now it seems to be France as well. So, and then obviously they can move around the world to the, you know, that gives them another 10 cards they can do in other, other countries if they want to do an actual numbered UFC event there. Obviously they're doing, if they're doing fight nights, they can have as many of there as they want within reason. So, yeah, I can see it being big on the UFC's European scene for sure. Yeah. And and he, he, uh, Dave just mentioned him, uh, Benoit Saint-Denis. Uh, if he continues the way he is doing, he's going to be a big star. Uh, I think he needs to tighten up his defense a little bit, but uh, he, seems, he seems to have the go and the, you know, he's, he's a beast, quite frankly. Um, yeah, like, especially with that guys, you know, guys are juggling background. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 got he has the willpower. We know he has the willpower because he's done special forces training, uh, and those those guys don't quit very easily, if at all. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah. I got a quick question: Did either of you see his fight with uh, Ezekiel Dos Santos guy, or his first fight that he lost in the UFC? Yeah, it's the only fight he lost in his career, yeah. But it was his first fight in the UFC. 
I did see it, but I can't remember very much about it. And I know, I know it must have stuck with me because I remembered his name. And Yeah, I guess it was like a bludgeoning. I looked up the stats and it was pretty one-sided. But, I mean, dude looks like a freaking killer from uh, that point on. I'm actually pretty excited to see what's next for him. Yeah, obviously he's in a, he's in a lethal uh, uh, weight class at the moment, being a lightweight, but... Uh... Again, again, we're at that stage of the lightweights where the the current crowd are getting ready to move on. You know, they're getting up into their high thirties. Someone's going to have to come along behind them and uh, start doing big things in the uh, division. So, yeah, why not? But I send Seems the the turnover rate is about to increase at lightweight. Very light. Well, once they finally get uh, what's his face Sarukian out of the fucking rankings, you might be getting someone. <laughs> <laughs> fucking asshole Armin yeah oh, I think for me personally this, that uh, the Paris topic is my favorite topic that we're going to discuss today uh, fucking Paris was electric and that's fitting because it's you know the city of lights the, to say that crowd was lit the hell up would be an understatement it was a packed house from start to finish uh, the prelims to the main event, the whole fucking stadium was a madhouse. Uh, there was times when I felt like I was watching a football or a soccer match. It was fucking beautiful. Uh, there was plenty of pageantry, national support. France showed out in full throat of totality. Yeah, I love it when you get to the prelims and the, the crowd's already there. The entire stadium's packed. <laughs> it was that- packed. Yeah, that 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 shows that the crowd are really behind it. You know, you're in for a good night when they're when they're there that early. I was waiting for the flares and fireworks to start going off. <laughs> so that okay, brings up a question: It's like the meme is France like being a bunch of pussies and shit. Like, obviously, that's all bullshit. Is that done now? Like, are we past that? And now France is like one of the boys. I think ragging on the French is a general uh, joke. To be fair, uh, I, I, yeah, you don't English, think we'll ever get we, past we, that. We, well, well, I'm English, so we're never going to get past that. We always rag on oh, the French. Man, oh man, danger! Oh man, you're holding grudges. No, the French are the same with us. You know, it's it's that we don't actually. Oh, certainly, from my point of view, you know, it's mainly just a joke. It's a meme. You know, hating on the French is a meme. Uh, yeah, memes fun. Yeah, so. There's no, I don't have any hatred for French people whatsoever. Uh, Does Paris really smell like piss? I've never actually been to Paris. So. Uh, That's always been what I heard. Amsterdam probably does because they have toilets in the street. But Oh, my. <laughs> I actually heard there's a, uh, uh, I don't know what it is, a... a medical condition of some sort that people experience when they go to Paris, where if you, if you've romanticized Paris in your mind and you actually go visit the difference between how you imagined it and how it actually is, is so great that there's a type of melancholy or depression that you only get from that. I forget what the fuck it's called. I've never heard of that. Yeah. I was just reading about it recently. It's a very messed up city at the moment with the... Well, let's not go into that, but yeah. Uh, no, well, another podcast, another what, time. What's messed up about it? Hmm? What, what's the problem? 
We've got an hour and six minutes. I forget. I saw a, an article a while back, and they uh, that had a lot of obviously Europe is experiencing a mass wave of um, immigration from uh, Africa uh, coming across the uh, Mediterranean boats. And uh, I know a few months back, they one of the I think where the French keep their government, it, the square in front of that was just full of tents. You know, from these people that have come over. So it's not a city I would want to visit at the moment. Okay. And then obviously it had the riots a few, again, a few few weeks, a couple of months ago, wherever it was, where half the city was burning down. Um, So, yeah, it wouldn't be high on my uh, places uh, to visit. We'll take it from a man who knows. I'm not sure if I know, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're the closest thing we've got. Well, have you ever visited anywhere, Danger Mouse? Yeah, I've... I've, I've, What, in in Europe? I've been to Spain, Holland, Austria, Germany, Italy, uh, various times. So, yeah. Uh, I've been through France. I've just never stopped in France. Uh, And it was was a long time ago when I did go to France, you know, or through France, should I say. So, Europe was a lot different where, you know, Back when I went through uh, through France, um, they you couldn't just drive across Europe. You used to have to show your passport to get between uh, the different states, oh, yes. countries. So, but now it's all Schengen area, so you can dr- drive around Europe once you once you hit the mainland. No one's going to stop you. You can drive right across, you know, pretty much until you hit Russia or somewhere like that. Is it true that you can drive most anywhere in a day? Uh, I, I worked in Germany, and we we set off in the morning and drove from uh, where I live, uh, kind of uh, Yorkshire area, you know, middle of England, uh, slightly of the north of England, and we drove across it, caught the ferry, drove through France, went up to Belgium, drove down into Germany, and got to our hotel in Germany. In a, yeah, that was a single day. <laughs> That's fucking wild. Yeah. So you lived in England, and you worked in Germany. Yeah, I, I worked for a company and they arranged for us to do... Um, we, we were working for a stock-taking company and uh, they w- had a contract with the British Army that um, you've been in chair force, Dave, so you'll probably know you have um, stores on the bases and that's what we went over. We went over to count the stuff that was in the stores. Uh, so we did that on German German Army bases. Or, you know, I can't remember how many we covered, but we were there for about 10 days or so. Uh, fantastic trip. I really enjoyed it. Um, drank a lot of beer, played a lot of poker, counted <laughs> a lot of stock. All right, well, we got one segment left if we want to tackle it. Uh, it's a pretty basic one. It's just our overall individual fighters of the night. So, whoever wants to go first, Dave, I think that uh, you're up to go first. So, who do you got? I don't want to go first because my fighter of the night has already been discussed in length. Uh, if someone has something, if not, I'll go first. Fuck it, I haven't gone first yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, throw yourself in. Uh, my fighter of the night, and I'm probably gonna butcher his name because I haven't heard John Anik pronounce it yet. <laughs> Morgan Charrier, the guy who fought Zucchini. Yeah, yeah, that was fucking awesome. Uh, what a way to open the main card. Uh, that body kick was fucking violent. I love body kicks uh, to grounded opponents uh, or semi-grounded opponents. 
Uh, yeah, I just thought that he looked awesome, despite uh, his record not being that great. If I recall correctly, he had nine losses coming in. But, you know, some local French flavor. Yeah, he had a nice showing. I liked that aggressiveness. So hope to see more out of Morgan Charrier. Yeah, I, I picked against him for some reason. I really should have picked all French fighters for that card, but uh, yeah, but seemed he, to be the case. He, he did look very good. Uh, Who you got, DM? You got a fighter of the card? Um, I I think I've, the one I was most impressed. I, I could go for two. I'm just looking at the uh, prelims card now. Where the things, uh, Jacqueline Cavalcanti, I thought did very well uh, against Sarah Fane. Uh, who was another huge woman, but I, I, I was kind of confused why Fenn was there uh, with a 6-5 record. Uh, yeah, that's Cav- a bit weird. Yeah, but Cavalcanti looked very good. I'm just like, you know, I've got the scorecards. She won at every round. Uh, very light on her feet. Very good with her kicks and punches. Um, so I was quite impressed with her. And, uh, of course, Fari Basharat as well, uh, with that very nice arm triangle choke. Against Cladson Rodriguez. Yeah, Cavalcante, I believe she was a LFA women's champion of a, I'm not sure which division. But yeah, I think we did talk about her. Uh, she won something else in the past. Yeah, was this her? Was this her debut? UFC debut? I don't know. I'm not sure, to be honest. She doesn't doesn't appear to have a Wikipedia page. I'm just looking at check technology. How about you, Dave? You got, who, who do you got? All right. Well, originally, my uh, fighter of the card was actually not going to be a fighter. And it was going to be the Paris audience because I never heard anything like that. But since we carded him already, I'm going to go with kind of a curveball and say Jocelyn Edwards. Um, I thought she actually looked good. She looked better than normal. I thought that she won the fight, even though the, you know, she lost it. Um, She's constantly improving every fight. Uh, I think she's a good bantamweight. She certainly leveled up her hair game. It kind of looks like in the past with that really goofy hair, it's like, how do you get behind someone like that? But now that she's like, <laughs> you know, got some real hair and not doing like the meme things or whatever she was doing. And I'm just going out there and she's giving 100%. She's trying to be violent. She got robbed. I thought she looked great in the process, and, uh, you know, I didn't see too much notable performances outside of, like, Faroe and Gone, but we've already covered them, and a lot of people expected that, so I'll go with uh, the loser, one of the bigger losers of the night. Unfortunately. Uh, yeah. I'm looking at, I'm looking at her, uh, her record and stuff right now, and she seems to be pretty active. She had three fights in 21 two fights in 22 and she's now had two fights in 23 so yeah and i mean in that fight like the tweets like the social media engagement for that whole event like skyrocketed like you know you can look at social media engagement throughout the card it was kind of like low low and then when jocelyn edwards fought it like spiked i don't know if people were into the um her figure or whatnot but her new hairdo yeah, it's a new storyline after this fight. Before, when she was rocking that really short hair, like people weren't talking about Jocelyn Edwards. They're talking about her now. Yeah, she is currently, uh, let's see, four and three in the UFC. Well, that loss shouldn't have counted because, I mean, it, 
Like there was a bunch of fucking fucked up thirty twenty seven cards yeah. on on the whole fight night. Like some of them, like I mean, we're supposed to be looking at impact now and like immediate damage over sustained damage, and like there was just some of the worst thirty twenty seven scorecards I've seen. Fortunately, I think the right fighter won in all those situations, but still, there might be a judging problem in uh, France that needs to get addressed. Yeah, that was actually going to be our original closing topic, if you guys want to touch on that. The uh, various controversies with judging and refing for the Paris card. Yeah, as Dave said, the, the judges were definitely mo- definitely looking for impact. I, I forget which fight it was now, but there was one I, was, I wasn't sure if... Um, I can't like that. The judges might have given it to someone else, uh, to, to the fighter I didn't think was winning. Uh, that round just because he did land. Uh, I think there's a lot of grappling and then right at the end of it uh, he kind of uh, came forward and hit and I was wondering if it snatched the round just because he was being more violent. As it happened the judges didn't score it for uh, the striking uh, fighter. Uh, Sorry, I've just accidentally closed my uh, (laughs) who was on the card down there. I will say that uh, this Despite some of the controversy, it will it uh, it seemed like they were at least consistent in their bad judging in their yeah. you know. So here's the thing in uh, Las Vegas, they can review the fight ending sequence, and uh, they can alter the outcome okay. of the fight and make it a no contest. They can't restart it. In France and overseas, normally the UFC acts as their own commission, but they didn't use that rule. They didn't like, re- or maybe they did review the footage and they didn't say. But I mean. Reviewing the footage, clearly it was a groin strike and it should have been like a no contest. I mean, I guess that's all you can do is a no contest because you can't review the, or you can't restart the fight after the review process. Or what the ref should have done that's is what I was gonna say. Know, call the timeout and restart it. Because I mean, fighters call, the refs are so goddamn inconsistent with whether or not they let the fighters call timeouts. You're not supposed to, but like nine times out of 10, fighters get to call timeouts for legal shots. Which I kind of understand because it's it's a hard cue to a visual cue to pick up on, you know. Yeah, I, so, I think so, the re- the referee kind of jumped in a little bit too quick. Um, he should have just you know pulled him around and go, you know, are you ready to continue or not? And he didn't. He just you know when he turned away, it was like that's it, fight's over. Uh, but when you looked at the footage close up, that the kick was on target, but he definitely brushed the cup on the way in. No, and, and I know in some commissions, when they go to the replay, isn't the fight immediately ends, right? Yeah, so it should have been a no yeah. contest. Yeah. yeah so, that, so that's sort of the controversy here is that we went to the replay, and rather than I don't it being even know a contest, the replay, like the, the commentary insinuated they might go to the replay, but they never confirmed it. And like, I'm not sure what athletic commission they're using, if any. And, it, you know, UFC normally copies the Vegas standards, and the Vegas standards is to view the replay. But, yeah. I mean, and the replay seemed obvious, but, I mean, they stuck with the original ending and didn't mention anything about the replay or nothing like that. So, it, it's still a little sus, the whole yeah, athletic did. mission overseas. It seemed a bit peculiar because I remember the, the stoppage for the foul and then... It was like right before, like the when the fight would have resumed, the ref just called it off. Yeah, if I recall. 
as I say, when he, he kicked it, he got kicked, he turned away from the ref, and that's when the referee pretty much stopped it. Uh, didn't give him any like chance. Like a GKO yeah, didn't, he, he, didn't, he didn't give him any time at all after the kick? No, no, he didn't. No, he, he, no he, he immediately ruled it as a fair blow. Like, yeah, he it. it's yeah, a fair blow. Said, yeah, he didn't, he didn't give the uh, fighter any chance to uh, say, look, he, I got kicked in the nose. Give me a second. Uh, and I must have been... The one I was just on about, it was uh, Kalen Lochran, or however you pronounce his name. Uh, oh, that yeah. Was, that was the one I thought they might have given Lapilus all three rounds, but they didn't. They scored it 29-28. Lochran, he was the uh, the uh, block-headed Irishman, right? Yeah, yeah, 6-0 and when he when he went into it. Obviously, 6-1 on one now. But yeah, it wasn't a particularly close fight. He didn't do Over, enough to win it. I mean... Overall, I'd say, uh, you know, the card was decent as we got towards the top, but not the uh, not the best. But for that week of a card, Paris to still show out like that, that's a good sign for the future. Yeah, I mean, the audience was the MVP. They, oh, they, they, they sold the card. Like, it seemed like a huge, big event. You know, it was kind of shit. Yeah, yeah, it felt like a pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That crowd I mean, was... I, yeah, every fight on the main card had a finish. So, oh, sorry, no, apart from Manuel Fierro and Rose, that was the that was the only decision on the entire main card. Yeah, I didn't I didn't hate the Rose fight though. I thought it may not have been the you know the 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 biggest barn burner, but it was still fun to watch. It wasn't for me because I picked Rose, but <laughs> I said I, I wouldn't if I'd known Trevor wasn't there, but. Picks picks aside though, I mean Pat Barry. What does the future hold for Pat Barry? Why don't you take a seat? <laughs> Hi Pat, come on in and sit down. <laughs> like he might be the worst coach in MMA. Like I don't even think he's a real MMA coach, he's just a fighter that fucking He, he wasn't the brightest as a fighter, so Yeah. Look at the, the, the Czech Congo fight. One of the I, I can kind of understand that loss. Like there was a lot of adrenaline in that shit. It was pretty yeah. wild, but well, that's it. You know, he brings that same adrenaline to the corner. Yeah, which is you know, it does. I guess it kind of balances out when Trevor's there because Trevor's got that calm demeanor. But well, Trevor doesn't get much time. It's like yeah. Yeah, I don't think it does balance out. I think there's too much Pat Barry. There you have it, Donks. Your first edition of Just Bleed Table Podcast Discussion brought to you courtesy of the official Morning Combat Discord. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Super Dave and Danger Mouse, with a special nod to the man they call no special. Be sure to tune in next week to catch our full ensemble. Shout out to the leader of the ship, our pickle king, Captain V. Unfortunately, we ran out of time today and weren't able to get him on. Our apologies. Until we meet again, a speed. Man, fuck Captain B.